0: You're listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast with Jack Miller. Keep up the good work. I would like to make a few comments. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other killing each other at home. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war. This war is for the soul of America. Because of the way this society is organized, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. Our side, our side, our side. a crisis that In a quandary about the present, we are a people in search of our future. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish Did we come all this way for this? It all seems a long way from a time when politics was a national passion and sometimes even fun. We are attempting on a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. We are met here as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans, to solve that problem. Welcome to the Pothole Problem Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jack Miller, and once again, I am in the studio by myself, and I want to explain why that is and why I'm doing this episode the way I am. I am tomorrow leaving for a five-day silent meditation retreat, during which time I will not only be silent, uh, but I will be completely off the grid. Phone turned off and left in the glove compartment of the car. And the silence actually of these retreats extends to all nonverbal communication. So the idea is not just that you don't talk, but that you don't even necessarily nod or smile at people or uh, engage in any of those innumerable forms of nonverbal communication that are, in many cases, just part of being a member of a society where you acknowledge the existence of other people and you behave appropriately. So I'm going to be completely unplugged, not just from the grid, but from society. And so here I am today in the studio, completely not unplugged from the grid because I'm clearly plugged in to the studio system, but I'm going to be outside of society in the sense that I'm only communicating to the microphone. Now, I am thinking about you, the audience, the listeners, and that means that, of course, I'm not entirely disengaged, but that technicality aside, I'm by myself, and I'm about to go be by myself. And I wanna talk about meditation in this episode not just to discuss it as a thing that has been beneficial to me and to talk about what it is that uh, it has changed for me, but to relate that to political outrage, the political system that I am a member of, I am a student of it, and I am a teacher of it. And as the co-host of this podcast, I'm also a member of the media that is both involved with and reporting on the political system. So I'm deeply intertwined with politics. And meditation, for me, is a crucial component of my participating in this system, this way of life, the emotions and activities that come along with it, because I'm convinced that I couldn't do what I do, if it weren't for the personal tools that meditation has given to me. And I've mentioned in various interviews here and there that I am a meditator, and I haven't really ever talked too much about what it does for me. Uh, And I wanna clear that up. So what does meditation do for me? And why am I going on this uh, meditation retreat? Well. What it does for me is produces fundamentally a state that I call quiet mind. And quiet mind is not that my mind is shut off. It's not that I go into some kind of, uh, you know, bubble or trance or float off into some sort of spiritual or astral realm where I am just completely disengaged. That's not what quiet mind does. And I think that uh, as a term, it can be misleading. It could, it could indicate or imply that. I also think that people who are not familiar with meditation or other forms of spiritual practice often can think, uh, and I think there are good reasons in our popular media that they get this impression, uh, they can often think that The goal is disengagement. The goal is this kind of separation from life and the material world and connections to others and the day-to-day demands uh, of, uh, you know, modern society. The goal is not disengagement, and it can give that, and and distance, and detachment. Uh, And I know that detachment is an important concept in many uh, spiritual and meditative uh, traditions. And it's not that detachment isn't part of what the overall uh, goal is or the overall intention. It's just not the main result, and at least not for me. Meditation, quiet mind, does not make me detached. What it makes me is it makes me serene, it gives me equanimity, In my attachment, in my immersion in the world of politics, in the world of day-to-day things, in the need to take out the trash and pay your taxes and make sure that your Wi-Fi works so that everyone in your house can actually stay connected to the world and do the things they want to do, or any of the innumerable things that appear on your to-do list. These are all just items from my recent to-do list that are probably very familiar to a lot of people as the nature of their to-do list. It doesn't take me away from my to-do list. It doesn't take me into a sort of spiritual or astral plane where mundane pedestrian uh, concerns disappear. Maybe some people have that as a goal, and maybe some people want to be sort of the monk on the mountaintop uh, who is completely outside of the maddening, uh, clamoring, uh, emotion-filled, outrage-anger-filled world of modern society, but that's not my goal. And it's also not uh, something that I think that meditation would, a- would be able to achieve for me. Quiet mind really gives me, as I said, that sense of serenity and equanimity so that I can take things slowly and orderly and without a bunch of noise that impacts my ability to live my life and to process the information that's coming at me, to engage in the tasks, to have conversations with people where I can listen and respond as opposed to hear and react. And I think that that's an important distinction. Listening is uh, an active uh, activity, an active skill. Listening is not merely passive, letting someone else's words or other sounds come into your brain, listening is an active process of hearing and paying attention and reflecting on what you are being told or what other you know sounds are coming at you whether it's bird sounds or car sounds or a train or an explosion or or whatever it happens to be mostly of course it's going to be people's words uh, in the in the, the the modern world that we live in and in the situations i'm discussing here uh, listening means hearing and then Reflecting and then responding after reflection. And quiet mind for me gives me that space and that serenity to not already be thinking of my response while the other person is still talking, to not be forming a counter argument or uh, some kind of statement that tells them that they're missing an important piece of the picture and that they need to know this information before they can actually jump to their conclusion. To have quiet mind for me means to have the space, the patience, which is not natural to me, and it's not natural to a lot of people, um, to have the patience to really listen and reflect before responding. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't end up correcting Uh, someone's misconception if I think there's a misconception or filling in a hole in their uh, knowledge if I think there's a hole in their knowledge that's important or stating my contrary opinion and arguing for that. It doesn't mean that I don't do those things or won't do those things. Uh, That equanimity and serenity means just no conflict or no sort of back and forth or pushback against the things that you hear. It's again, it's not that it's not being able to sort of sit Buddha-like. And I think that that is a visual, not an actual representation of how Buddha dealt with things, but like sit Buddha-like and hear all kinds of crazy shit coming out of people's mouths and not uh, say anything back and not have your serenity, your peacefulness interrupted at all. Uh, quiet mind doesn't mean I don't get angry. Quiet mind doesn't mean I don't get uh, Um, disappointed. It doesn't mean that I don't have a counter argument or a disagreement with the people I hear. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. What it means is that when I do have that process, if I go through the process of arguing back against somebody, that I'm doing so from a space of response rather than reaction, that I'm doing so after having actually listened to hear everything as opposed to listening and formulating my response right away as I'm going, and so therefore not really fully listening and definitely not giving myself time to reflect. But I respond as a result of having listened and reflected. And so quiet mind is less that the mind is off and more that the mind is, for me, slow and not necessarily slow as in clock slow, but slow as in methodical. I do one thing at a time. There it is. That's, I, I knew I was groping towards the, the best explanation. It's that quiet mind means I do one thing at a time and I give that one thing all the time and attention that it needs to be fully accomplished. So I listen and I reflect and I respond. Now, those things might take five minutes, they might take five seconds. Um, Five seconds is probably a little short for it. But the not quiet mind is the mind that has so many voices going and so many balls in the air and so much happening that there isn't that space to be reflective and to respond instead of react. Uh, Now, this Hopefully, as I explain it, one, makes sense. I really hope it makes sense. I'm talking about this at length because I really want people to understand what quiet mind can be. And in a way, I'm pushing back against what I think are possibly common misconceptions of it. But it's really just to talk about why I think it's important for me. Because if I were reactive most of the time, and I have been in the past, I haven't been a meditator my entire adult life. It's only been about four years now. Um, But if I were reactive all the time, the world gives me so much to be reactive against and about. Uh, and reactivity, in my experience of it anyway, is usually an amplification of whatever charged emotions exist in that uh, space and in that time. So if it's happiness, I, it amplifies into joy or, or even more happiness. If it's anger, it amplifies into even more anger and, and then into outrage. So it the reactivity turns up the knob on the emotions that are present uh, rather than creating space to have a reflective emotional response, which actually may sound kind of contradictory because our emotional responses tend to be automatic as opposed to a result of reflection. But in the kind of meditation that I practice, one of the things that you are encouraged to do is to allow your emotions to to arise and to watch them and pay attention to them not try to talk yourself out of them not look away from them not go around them um, but also to not be uh, identified with them and to not then be ridden off by your emotions it's it's a way of not pushing things away and also not being controlled by those emotions So it's not about being unemotional, non-emotional. It's certainly not about uh, um, letting your emotions be the voice that you listen to, but the only voice you listen to, I should say. You listen to, pay attention to, and look at the emotions as they arise, and then decide how much you want to take the information that that emotion is trying to convey to you and turn that into your action, your conclusion, right? So if you're angry, there's probably a message there, right? And a lot of times that message is that you've been treated unfairly, or that something is going in a way that is going against your self-interest or going against your values. Uh, you know, you're angry because there's inequality, and you're seeing it right in front of your face, and it just makes you angry because because inequality is wrong. Uh, so there's a message there in most anger, I mean, sometimes I think anger really just the message is like you just got angry and it's there's like sometimes you just get sad and sometimes you just get uh, content or joyous whether the emotion is positive, negative, or neutral. Sometimes the emotions do just happen and they don't necessarily have a message for you. But most of the time, or a lot of the time, they do have a message for you. And to the extent that you can sit with the emotion, you can, I think, better receive what that message is and then decide what to do about that message. If somebody says something, for example, that you think is completely outrageous and you're flooded with anger and outrage by that statement, uh, if your reaction is just to yell back at them or say you're an idiot or you're totally wrong or you just don't get it or here's why, here's, here's, here's why you need to change your mind. Uh, that is not going to be a very skillful way of engaging with that person. It's also not going to give you the opportunity to maybe shift your perspective. Uh, and I'm not saying that you have to change your mind just because somebody has an argument uh, that or an opinion that they're making and they're making an argument for it. But to the extent that you can sit with that outrage or anger and not get ridden away by it and take the message from that, that, okay, here's somebody who's saying something uh, that's in, in support of a piece of experience that I think is bad, then you can, to the extent that you can sit with that and be like, okay, that's the message. I think this is wrong. I think this is unfair. Um, what are my reasons for thinking this is wrong and unfair? What are the reasons for accepting or rejecting this person's perspective, this person's argument? Uh, to that extent, you create space for yourself to look at the claim the person's making that produced the outrage, and in the end, you might decide after reflection that you should be against the claim that person has made, that you should uh, push back against it, argue against it, fill them in, try to try to get them to change their mind. But it's going to be a very different kind of counter argument that comes from that sort of listening, reflecting, uh, sitting with the emotion instead of getting carried away from it, than it, getting carried away by it, I should say, than it would be uh, if you just got carried away with that emotion, and started yelling back. Now, I personally benefit from this because teaching politics, I am around people's political opinions all the time, and more broadly, I have to stay in touch with the political news constantly to be able to uh, teach it effectively, answer my students' questions, update my ideas about what makes the political system tick, uh, according to the most update you know, updated uh, events and occurrences. So I have to follow the news and I have to listen to other people's opinions all the time. So I'm immersed in things that potentially could just grab me and carry me away into anger, outrage, fear, uh, disappointment, frustration, sadness. There's a lot of potential to get ridden away over the horizon into the sunset by the negative emotions that being a political science professor in 2021 uh, could do to me. So I don't think that if I hadn't learned how to cultivate quiet mind, that I could still be doing this. It would I would either have gotten burned out by now and therefore would have quit and left and possibly gone to the mountaintop to be the, the, the monk who is out of the stream of things. Um, or I would just be angry all the time and I would be outraged and I would be... You know, yelling at people, or if not yelling in a volume, I would be constantly trying to correct people and tell them what to think and tell them why they're wrong and tell them why they're idiots. I think, I'm not saying this is what would happen to everybody in my same position, but I'm pretty sure that's what would have happened to me. That's how I would have related to the constant onslaught of information, arguments, positions, facts that I get as a person who stays immersed in the political world. Quiet Mind doesn't take away my emotions. It gives me space to have serenity around them so I can see the uh, messages they're giving to me and so that I can be reflective. And so I can listen to people with different perspectives and different ideas. And that is, for me, tremendously beneficial. And it's part of the reason why I have this podcast is I hope to be able to bring that sensibility, that spirit, that approach to politics, to the interviews I conduct and uh, to provide that kind of uh, perspective. Uh, to you, my listeners. So, uh, I could go on and on as anyone who knows me personally knows that I could go on and on. And uh, when I tell people I'm going to a silent meditation retreat, many people who know me cock their head and they're like, how could you do that? You seem like you love to talk so much. And that's true. I do love to talk an awful lot, but I also do love to be silent. And I'm tremendously looking forward to this silent meditation retreat because I know that it helps me to recharge my ability to have quiet mind, to do this. And I also enjoy it. I actually do enjoy it. It's not just some medicine I take and I force myself and I suffer through it. I'm really tremendously looking forward to five days completely outside of the stream of human communication uh, because that will give my brain the ability to have that serenity without having to sort of exert the serenity muscles. Uh, And that's not the only thing that these meditation retreats do, uh, but they do create that. Essentially, it's like a vacation from my serenity creating muscles. I I, I will have serenity without having to exercise and practice. Um, And at the same time, it is practice so that when I come back out, those muscles will also be stronger. I think the metaphor that I'm going for here is probably falling apart. And I think that what this definitely means is that I should be wrapping up this particular segment. So I will say thank you for listening, uh, if you are still listening, uh, and I appreciate your uh, attention to this as well as to all of the episodes of the podcast. And next week, we'll be back with the regular type of program, an interview with an elected official. Uh, So until then, I hope that everyone can stay serene and have equanimity and has a beautiful, wonderful week. You're listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast, created by White Tiger Productions. At White Tiger Productions, we create experiences. If you have an idea for a podcast, a workshop, or a show of any kind, we'll help you go from concept to execution. We provide creative direction and production support. We've got a podcast studio, writers and storytellers, sound engineers and editors, designers, videographers, hosts, creative coaches, everything you need to manifest your creative potential. You name it or even vaguely describe it and we'll take you from dream to finished product. White Tiger Productions. You can do what you think and we can help you. Visit us at do you youcandowhatyouthink.com and tell us what you're thinking about.